<clears throat> this past week, I um, had a chance to go, to go down to Beth Israel to get a checkup on my back. It's been eight months, and um, I don't know if you've ever been to Beth Israel, big hospital, and you just walk these long, long corridors, and all over the place, there were these uh, banners, these signs that said, human first. And, and I thought to myself, well, that's encouraging. Um, at least I know I'm not in a veterinarian hospital or anything. Um, but then I began to think to myself, what does that mean, human first? Um, is that a, a statement of, of philosophy or is that an organizational statement? In other words, humans first, then after that will be the giraffes and the hippopotamuses. I mean, what, what exactly do they mean by human first? Now, I suspect it was a philosophical statement. But even that... What does it mean to be human? You might not think so, but that's not an easy <clears throat> question to answer in this world. We take it for granted what we mean by it, but when you really examine it, it seems to be a very tough question to answer. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I like... Um, when I stay up late, sometimes I'll watch Jay Leno. Um, well, Jay Leno's gone. God rest now. Um, who's taking his place? Jimmy, no, no. Is it Jimmy Fallon? Okay. Where they would do these, I don't know if he does this anymore. Where they would do these um, man on the street interviews. I don't know if you, you know, and they would go and interview him about, about something and, um, and get their collective wisdom or group ignorance. Um, and I always get a kick out just, you know, hearing what people think. Well, probably close to that is um, on the internet is what we call blogs, where people just chime in on what they believe about a subject. And I was looking at one particular blog uh, this week on what it means to be human. And let me just share with you just the mindset of people and, like I said, the difficulty and the definition of it. Anna from Massachusetts. It means that you have human rights. It means that you have friends and you have been given a life to live. I don't know if that defines anything. Um, from Julio from Chile, South America. To have conscious that we, conscience that we will die and try to postpone, postpone that fact the more you can. Well, that's depressing. Um, and this is Diego from Egg Harbor, New Jersey. Paul, where is Okay. To be human means to discover, means to discover, evolve, and unfortunately destroy our own space, our world. Well, that sounds like New Jersey. Um, <laughs> Kevin from uh, Oregon. Being human means learning new things in life, understanding your feelings, 
other people's feelings and what you want to do in life. And that was from Kevin from Oregon. Uh, Manny from Georgia, to be put on this earth for a distinctive reason that only humans can complete. Manny, what's the reason? Um, Bob from uh, New York, to be made in the image of God. Um, Brian, to explore that not explored, understand that not understood, dream that not dreamed, and live more than can be lived. It sounds like Star Trek, doesn't it? <laughs> to go where no... Uh, <clears throat> uh, Ch- Chad from Sydney, we're getting uh, continental here. To be human is to have the ability to collectively learn. All right. Um, Joe from Indiana, it means to sadly <laughs> not be a magical wizard. Yes, well, <laughs> go back to your vid- video games, Joe. Um <clears throat> Ryan from California, to be human is to show respect for our past and emancipate ourselves with the faint and vulnerable cradle of reason. A philosopher. Um, just one more. Being human means you get to do things that animals can't do, like standing on two legs and using a certain type of language. Zach from L.A., yeah, well, but you know, we can look at that and laugh. But even philosophers, when it comes to describing what it means to be human, and, and just, just bear with me just a little bit. Um, to be humans, to be human, the differences of opinions are not due, um, let me get... Some folks categorize, categorize, correspond more or less precisely to scientific categories. To use a well-worn example, the folksy category water is coexistent with the scientific category H2O. In the philosophical jargon, water is said to be reducible to H2O, which means that H2O is nothing over and above Water. Therefore, any statement that is true of water is also true of H2O. But not every folk category is even approximately reducible to a scientific one. Consider the weed. What is that? Well, he's, what he's trying to say is, well, we're, we're a category. We're just a category. There are a bunch of categories. It's a category. Uh, one uh, stu- uh, um, university of, I think this was uh, Michigan, basically said, what it means to be human is not in our brain or in any of the particular capacities we might have improved or added to those of our categories in the course of human uh, uh, specification. The bottom line of what it means to be human is the unique way we share our resources to survive collectively. (laughs) So, you got it? What does it mean to be human? Because a person on the street doesn't seem to have much of a clue, and people in academia, both philosophically and those within the hard sciences, they don't seem to have much of a clue when you talk about what does it mean to be human. And so the, the question is this, does it really matter that, that we know that? I mean, as we go about our way, living our day-to-day, does it really matter that we even have an understanding of who we are? <clears throat> well, 
I'm going to say yes. It does matter. And here's why. Andreas, can you put this up on the screen? Because without identity, we distort reality. And we sabotage our legacy. Without identity, we distort reality and we sabotage our legacy. We've been doing a series called Mastering the Basics, right? Going into a new year, recognizing that to really do things right, you got to master the basics. Well, what is more basic than knowing who you are? Why you're here? Where you came from? There's nothing more basic than that, right? So what, does it matter to know what does it mean to be human? Yeah, it matters. It's just, it's basic. Think about it this way. If you believe that you mean nothing, then you're going to probably strive for nothing and you're going to accomplish nothing. And that's going to be your legacy. It's going to be a legacy of no significance. A legacy of really no satisfaction. On the other hand, if you go around believing that you are special, then you're going to expect the world to see you and treat you as special. And you're going to end up either sorely disappointed or you're going to end up selfishly trying to walk on everyone around you. Or if you just believe, I'm, just, I'm, I'm equal, we're, we're all equal. Well, then you're going to spend your life looking around at what it means to be equal, trying to figure out that. And that's just going to lead to confusion. And at the end of the day, a, a life that that ends in no kind of internal fusion in itself. What does it mean to be human? That's what we're going to look at this morning because as we talk about this series, Mastering the Basics, you've got to know what it means to be human. Last week we looked at the scriptures. Um, we talked about, and we're going to get into this a little bit, but why it's so important to understand the scriptures. The week before we talked about why it's under, important to understand God. Because all of these things, if we don't master them, if we don't come to an understanding of them, if we don't engage them, then we'll master nothing. So, what does it mean to be human? I want to take you uh, to Genesis Chapter 1. Um, now, uh, let me deal with something first. Um, we're going to look at the whole Adam and Eve thing for a second. Now, believing in Adam and Eve seems ridiculous. A man, a woman, God, a snake. You know the story. And yet, I want, you to, I want you to understand this. 
as Christians, we believe it's true because, yep, the Bible says so. But Jesus believed it to be true. We see Jesus referring to the first couple when he talks about marriage in Matthew's gospel. When he said, have you not read that a man will leave his mother and father? He was talking about going right back to Genesis where God declares it. Not only that, but you, know, you want to know something interesting? And if you can put this up, Luke chapter 3. Look how when Luke is sharing the gospel, he begins by giving us a genealogy of Jesus. And I don't know if you can read it, so I'll read it to you. And he begins this way in verse 23. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Obviously, he was the son of God, the son of Hillai, the son of, uh, and going down to verse 28, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, Matthew's gospel, uh, he's trying to make very, very clear as he talks about this connection, uh, this uh, legacy, this genealogy. He connects Jesus to who? Adam. Did Jesus believe in Adam and Eve? Of course he did. Did all of the prophets and all of the priests and all the kings believe? Yes, of course they did. Did all the New Testament writers believe in Adam and Eve? Yes, of course they did. Paul talks about it in Romans and 1 Corinthians. You can't get around it. And as we look at it, I think you're going to see it. Because Adam and Eve, the, the recounting of their life story is really the recounting of our life story. It just makes perfect sense. So go back to Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our own image and our own likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the air and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. What does that tell us about what it means to be human? It tells us this. We are, and Andreas, you can put this up, we are created. We are beings created in the image of God for the glory of God to dwell in the intimacy of God. So what does it mean to be human? It means this. We're created in the image of God. We are beings who were created in God's image. Animals were not created in God's image. Nowhere in the scripture do you see that. Animals were created basically for men. They were created for our purposes. Not the other way around. What it means to be human is to be created in the image of God. Which is pretty cool when you think about it. God's image, what does that mean? It means that we share divine attributes. 
like God, we can rejoice and be happy. Like God, we can experience the emotions of anger. Like God in, in, in our souls, we can receive truth. Like God, we're meant to be holy. To be human means to be created in the image of God for the glory of God. What did God do when he created Adam and Eve? He put them on the earth and he said this, I want you to go and take dominion over the earth. In other words, I'm the creator and you're gonna be my co-creators. I'm the author and you're gonna be my co-authors. I am putting you on this earth and I'm giving you everything you need so that you can live creatively as I created you. And in the midst of that, bring me glory. Because in your joy, in your satisfaction, in your holiness, it points back to what I've done. means to be created to live in the image of God for the glory of God to dwell in the intimacy of God. Adam and Eve dwelled in the intimacy of God. That's what God wants for us. And it's important. So who, who am I as a human being? person created in the image of God for the glory of God to do his work And in the midst of that, move closer and closer in intimacy with him. If I understand that, <coughs> it tells me who I am, where I am, and where I'm going. It helps me to understand what this life is about. <coughs> Well, that being said, there's a little glitch. Because who we were created to be and who we find ourselves to be now is a little bit different. That's where we take up Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? <clears throat> now, why God put the serpent in the garden? Because to be free, you have to have choices. We know that Satan was a fallen angel. He was a person who rebelled against God. And so God used him for a purpose. It just like when, when, when God called Abraham to sacrifice, sacrifice uh, Isaac. Yeah, it was a test, but it was a, a test to bring out his best. <clears throat> it was an opportunity. And so, the same thing goes on here. What's the first thing that Satan does? He questions, did God 
really say? Last week we talked about the Bible, and Andreas, you can pull that up. What do we say about the Bible? I think that should be there. Nope, that ain't it. Um, I'll read it. We say when it comes to the scriptures, mastering the scriptures means trusting in its authority and following in it authentically. Trusting in its authority and following in it authentically. Well, what's the Bible? The Bible's the word of God. What's the first thing that Satan does? Undermines God's word. Because one, once God's word becomes undermined, you don't know who you are anymore. You don't know why you're here anymore. You don't know who he is. You don't know who you are. The minute you block your mind out to the scriptures, the minute you begin to fudge, the minute you begin to say, well, I believe in this, but I don't believe in that, and you end up a mess. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or, el- or you will die. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a throat problem here. Think about this. You know, why, why the tree in the garden? God only gave them one commandment. Think about that. He didn't give them 10 commandments. He gave them one simple commandment. You can do anything you want. You can have anything you want. Just don't do this. And unfortunately, they couldn't even handle the one commandment. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing, uh, somehow they got messed up. Uh, Is that backwards? Okay. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Uh, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord of the God as he was wa- the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide? First time in their lives, they ever felt guilt they ever felt shame in our original creation guilt and shame were not supposed to be part of the picture but because of sin because of living in a lawless way now guilt and shame just becomes part of what we do Hiding from God just becomes part of what we do. Why? Because uh, the serpent said, eat of it, and then you'll be like God. What's the number one sin we always talk about? 
as human beings. What's that? Nope. Number one fundamental sin behind every sin. Pride. I'm surprised you guys don't know that. It's pride. Wanting to be more than you are. Needing nothing from no one. What was Satan appealing to? Pride. Eat of it, you know what? You'll be just like God, which means what? You won't need him anymore. Who needs a pesky God looking over your shoulder all the time? No one. So we tell ourselves. And what happens? They eat. And they begin to know life and death, but not conceptually, personally. They begin to know what it means to live in separation from God personally. They begin to know what it means uh, to, to have passion but not compassion. They begin to know what it means to lust but not have love. Because they walk away from God. Look what happens in this. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, and, and, and this, is, this is where it began. Take responsibility for Nothing. It's not my fault. It never was my fault. You know, in one sense, as Christians, we really are blessed, and you really should embrace Adam and Eve. Because it just, it gives you the perfect excuse, right? Not my fault. It's their fault. I'm like this because of, see, pagans don't have that. They have nothing to fall back on. We got something to fall back on. Not my fault. The woman you gave me was defective. She doesn't work. And I trusted her because you gave her to me. And I did what she told me to because that's in the rule book. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. No one deceives you. Just a little aside here. You deceive yourself. And you want to know what? There is nothing more pathetic than self-deception. Everybody in the world's got the memo but you. You think, you know, I mean, can you, did they forget who they were talking to? They were talking to God. The one who created him. Did they think they were going to fool him? Do we think we're going to fool him? When we're sinning, do we think, oh, God can't see me. I found a place just kind of where the cameras of heaven don't, don't catch me. We do. We think like that. 
We think when, when, we're, when we're sinning that, that if God isn't next to me, that God isn't there. What we should think is that every sin I commit against any person ultimately is against the creator who created them. I want you to think about that. Seriously. If you could keep that in your mind that when you're going to get angry at your husband or your wife, you're getting angry at God. When you're going to lie, you're lying to God. God is the ultimate victim of sin because you're sinning against his creation which he created for his purposes. You're thwarting them trying to thwart him ultimately. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your husband will be for you, uh, uh, your, your desire will be for your husband and what literally means by that, your husband's position. And he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree which about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And uh, from it all the days of your life. And we just The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground which had been, take, which had been taken. Now, interesting, isn't it? God created them. What do we know about God? God is love. God loved them so much that he created them. He gave them everything they needed. When they turned their back on him, he still, he still loved them. He dressed them up. Remember, uh, parents, uh, some of you, I shouldn't say remember, because many of you are there. Ha, ah, joke's on you. Um, but remember when you had little kids and you'd put them in their snowsuit and you'd dress them all up because, you know, you didn't want them to be cold or to get sick or, or you would tell them what to do or what not to do because you didn't want them to get hurt because you loved them. And it's the same picture of God dressing them up. When he should have just said, you're toast. I'm done with you. I'll, I'll start over again. Maybe I will go with the giraffes. Now he doesn't do that. See, we learn something. God doesn't change his mind. We are created in the image of God for the glory of God to dwell in the intimacy of God. So how does that happen? Because he kicks him out of the garden. He says, he can't dwell with me anymore. Because I'm a good God and heaven's a good place and you can't hang around anymore because you're not good because if you hang around with me anymore I won't be good and the neighborhood won't be good. So you got to go. But I'm going with you. I'm not going to abandon you. And I'm going to even use your sin as my glory. Because I'm going to bring you back to the fullness of my image. And so, and in the, in the, in the, 
narration, the genealogy of Jesus. You got Adam and, and all the pathetic losers after him and then the new son of God comes to the world. In John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe on him would receive eternal life. Why? Because God doesn't just throw us away. You want to know the truth of, of, of what we are? We are loved. And we are lost. And we are liberated. And we are lifted up. Can you pop that up? I want you to think about that. To be human means to be loved. God created you because he wanted you to experience the love that is within the community of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And when we lost our way, when we gave in to lawless behavior, when we decided we'd rather run and hide from God and make our own way, but we only made a mess and we only heaped more judgment and sin upon ourselves, when we ensnared and imprisoned ourselves, God liberated us. He sent his son to take away all condemnation. And then he poured his spirit in us lifting us up, empowering us to do what we could not do on ourselves, for ourselves. What does it mean to be human? It means I live every day knowing that I'm created by God. For his glory, not for mine. Not for my gain, not for my pleasure, not for my position in this world. None of that means a thing. Your position in this world only matters if God brought you there. Not if you walked on other people or you manipulated others to get there. I'm created by God for the glory of God. To dwell in the intimacy of God. So that if I'm looking to glorify him every day in my life, guess what? I'm moving closer and closer in intimacy with him. The creation and the creator belong together, not apart. And, and we can live our lives liberated but lost. We can live our lives still trying to have it our own way. 
saved but through Christ and yet still deceived in reality. Still believing that our identity has to be built on whether we're liked in this world or whether we have a lot of money or whether we can take care of ourselves. And see, that's the problem. Your identity, understanding your identity matters. Because if you get it wrong, you'll distort reality. And at the end of your life, your legacy will be empty. You'll come to the end of your life and you'll realize, I got nowhere. In fact, I just, I have a past of broken relationships. I have a past of hurt and pain that I brought onto myself. I have a reputation that doesn't speak well of me. If you understand your identity, then you'll live in reality. And you will enjoy the legacy of living in the intimacy of God. So as you go forward this week, I want you to ask yourself, what does it mean for me this week as a creation of God, seeking the glory of God in what I do and say? And can I measure it by the intimacy of God that I feel that I know, that I share with others. Let's join our hearts together in prayer.